0: Well, you see the title of my message here today, why communion, question mark. And uh, as I was preparing for today and I was thinking uh, about the message, um, I knew that we were going to be uh, sharing communion or the Lord's Supper. And uh, sometimes, you know, we, we just go about the every day or the every month uh, thing. You know, it's the first uh, Sunday of the month, and so we usually have communion. But do, do we ever take the time to stop and kind of think about what is it exactly that we're doing. Why do we do this? Why? What's What's the purpose uh, of doing that? Um, the The uh, Lord gives very clear instruction, and we're going to look at that as we as we go through uh, about this. And uh, but you know, we basically have two uh, ordinances that that Jesus left with us that God has given to us that He would like us to do. One is baptism, and the baptism, we believe, is for uh, somebody who has become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they choose out of obedience to enter the waters of baptism. Uh, And that is uh, one of the uh, directions that Jesus had given. And then the other is, uh, and we're going to speak in detail about this one, and the other one is that we would come together and break the bread and drink of the cup in memory of him. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, for most of us, it's a, a... hopefully a good reminder. Uh, For some, it may be something new. You might be a new Christian or maybe not a believer yet and wondering what it is that we do and why we do it, and hopefully you'll get some answers. But we also have a number of people who come from a lot of different backgrounds who participate in uh, communion in different ways and and, uh, uh, have different meanings to that. And so my goal, my purpose here today uh, after prayerfully considering this was that we would have some clarity about what we do and what we believe here at Bethel, and that it would be something that might help you uh, on a day-to-day basis. So um, so I want to uh, share some thoughts about the Lord's Supper, and uh, my prayer is that uh, it would give us a new focus and a new appreciation for uh, this wonderful uh, thing that Jesus gave to us through his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. So we're going to uh, start with a little bit of uh, background and kind of uh, work off of that. Um, so as we begin the study of uh, the Lord's Supper as given by Jesus, it always starts uh, with Jesus and his disciples going to, into Israel to celebrate the Passover. And... Um, as we look at that word, as you, as you read that in the Gospels, and by the way, the, the uh, Lord's Supper is, is uh, laid out for us in all four Gospels, and uh, every one of them refers to uh, the... Uh, just drew a blank, sorry. <laughs> um, in, into the Passover, sorry. I was thinking Lord's Supper, and I wanted to say it again. It was the Passover, and you know sometimes we forget what is the Passover all about. What is why is it that Jesus is there? What's the what is the Passover all about? So I just want to go back and remind us uh, uh, briefly a little bit about uh, what the Passover is, and uh, then we'll talk about uh, what Jesus is doing. So if you turn uh, in your Bibles to uh, the Book of Exodus, and uh, we're going to. Uh, be looking at verses in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus is the second book uh, in the Bible, and for those who are using a uh, one of the Bibles in your chair, it's found on page 64. So I'm going to be reading verses 21 through 27. And uh, a little background before I do that. As you recall, Joseph... Um, in the, in the book of Genesis, had been sold, uh, sold as a slave. Uh, he's in Egypt. He had been uh, uh, in, put in jail. He gets out, and as a result of how God is blessing him and how he is being faithful to uh, following God, uh, God allows Joseph to bring his whole family, which would become the nation of Israel. He allows them to be brought into egypt where they are kept safe during a uh, time of famine and uh... so now joseph and his family have died uh... the f- the uh, family is still there uh... the descendants are still there and uh... they are becoming very very numerous and so the egyptians are saying hey wait a minute if they become too numerous they're gonna take over our land We want to do something about that. So they enslaved the Israelites. And the Israelites started crying out to God, help us, you know, this is a terrible time uh, for this nation, and we need your help, God. And God provides a way for them to get out of Egypt. In fact, ultimately, because of what I'm going to read right now, uh, uh, the Egyptians push them out of town. They want to get rid of them or out of their country. And so if you have gotten to Exodus chapter 12... The thing that is uh, going to happen, uh, and it has happened at this point, but is that the uh, angel of death is going to come through and is going to take the life of every first child of an Egyptian. And uh, Moses instructs on how they can make sure that their children, the Israelites' children, are not included in those uh, who will be uh, executed. Verse 21, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped then the people of Israel went and did so and the Lord had as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron so they did so you notice a couple of things in there the requirement is that they would do this on an annual basis they would come together and they would uh, be in, together as a family And and sometimes if the families were too small, they would have several families who would get together, and they would uh, kill a a lamb, and they would sacrifice it, and they would explain to the children and everybody else why they were doing that. And the idea was that uh, the word Passover comes because God chose to pass by the houses of the Israelites and only inflicted the death upon the firstborn of the Egyptians in order to get them to release The Israelites, and so uh, it was a tradition. It was a a command that was going to be passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so, uh, again, most of you I know know these things, but I'm trying to uh, help you to see that you know none of these things are coincidence in God's word. This is something that uh, was instructed and passed down. Because now I want you to turn with me to the book of John. And uh, for those with the uh, Pew Bible, it's uh, page uh, 1053, but the book of John and uh, the first chapter. And uh, what we're going to be reading here is uh, John the Baptist has been doing uh, his... Uh, ministry. He's got a group of uh, his disciples who are following him, and he is instructing them and working with them and helping them to grow in their faith uh, in, in preparation for uh, the coming Messiah. Uh, he's been uh, teaching them and teaching others as well. He's been baptizing and doing all of these things. And so when we get here to uh, John chapter 1, verses 29 and 34... I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God powerful, powerful statement if you think about it. John was a religious leader. He was out there uh, winning people over for God. He was helping them in their spiritual walk. He was baptizing. He was teaching, instructing, and doing all of these things. And he says, look up. Behold him across the river. That is the Lamb of God. It's not coincidental that John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And, And one of the things that I hope you walk away from here today is a a reminder that none of these things in the word of God are coincidental, but they are all part of God's great plan to bring salvation to you and to me and to everybody who would hear the word and follow and listen to it. And so John's instructions here are very clear. He says, he is the Lamb of God. And he goes on and he says, I know that he is the Son of God. So he's a lamb who was sent for a purpose. The purpose was to come and to be a sacrifice. Uh, but when he comes, he is going to be the lamb of God. He is going to shed his blood so that people will be able to have eternal life because of his finished work on the cross. That's a foundational thing that we believe as a church. And as we come together and we partake of the elements, we remind one another of what it is that Jesus are, uh, is teaching us and what was taught uh, by uh, even uh, John the Baptist here. And it's very important for us to grasp that. Otherwise, when we come and partake of the elements, it's just taking some, some bread and some juice and we drink it and you know, we eat it and drink it and it's like, okay, so I've, I've done my thing for this month. But we need to take time to look at what exactly is the instruction and what am I supposed to be doing? What should my heart attitude be? What should my, where should my mind be when it comes to this uh, thing that Jesus has given to us? And that's a big part of what I'm trying to help us all to look at. Uh, as I worked through that all week, uh, more and more and more, God just brought me back to the fact that none of these things are coincidental. None of these things happen by, by, uh, just by accident, but rather they are all part of God's enormous and awesome and wonderful plan for our lives well let's turn if you would with me to the book of Mark and uh, Mark 14 and I purposely have chosen a number of different books because I want you to see how these things coordinate and work together that they're not all uh, separate and uh, and and different uh, people's view but rather God is trying to teach a lesson for us and teach us how to <clears throat> how to study and look at His Word and apply it, even as we take uh, part in the elements of, of communion. So in John uh, or Mark, uh, chapter fourteen is just on page ten, eleven, in uh, your Bibles is uh, we're going to be reading twelve uh, verses twelve through sixteen here. Uh, so this is the Passover uh, that the disciples go to participate. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready there. Prepare for us. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. I find it interesting that um, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Where are we going to do this? Not, are we going to do this? And you hear me say this a lot, but one of the things that we always have to be careful of is that we don't just read over something when we're reading God's word. The scripture is, it has words in there that are specifically helped to design us to understand his heart, his mind, and where he wants us to go and what he wants us to learn. So if you look here, he, they said to him, Lord, where do you want us to prepare for the Passover, to celebrate the Passover? Um... And he says, when you go into the town, which, by the way, is a large city, right? It's not just a little burg. It's a large city. When you go into the town, you're going to see a man carrying a water jug. Now, the first thing you need to notice about that is it's a man carrying. And usually it's not the men who are carrying the water jugs, but it's the women who are carrying the water jugs, right? So when you see this man coming into town, then you go to his home and you, or you follow him to his home, and then you say to the owner of the house, uh, where is the room, the upper room, that we are going to uh, use to celebrate the Passover? Think about that. Just think about that for a second. So, the disciples are to go into town. They walk in, and they found, find things just as Jesus said. Here's a guy. Carrying a water jug, he goes to a house. They go to that house. They talk to the owner, and he has a large upper room where they can uh, be able to celebrate the Passover. That's not a coincidence. That's something that he told them to do. Something that he instructed them. It, it would be like it would be like this. Um, I go into Nagani. Pastor Brian sends me into Nagani, and and he says follow a kid coming out of the high school over there who's going to be walking down a road and go over to his house and they lead me to the Dahlstrom's. I'm picking on the Dahlstrom's cuz they're up in the front here and you go to the you go to the Dahlstrom's and you say hey look you guys have a room in your house and we are going to come in there uh, a bunch of us and we're going to have a meal together and we're going to sit around and chat and talk and and so get a room ready for us cuz we're coming In a little while. You know, it's not like, okay, we're going to be there in a week, so get the house ready. No, it's, we're coming. (laughs) And and it's not just Jesus coming by himself. He's got at least the 12, right? And probably others who are going to be there. He's going to have people who are serving and helping to prepare the things and, and doing all of those things. There's a group of people that are going to this house, and it happens exactly the way that Jesus instructed them to do it. Now, what do you think the chances are for that to have happened that way unless it was a God thing? These things, folks, are not coincidental. When we read God's word, we have to put it together. We have to think beyond the words and understand the concept. God is saying through Jesus, I am going to have this disciple of mine celebrate the Passover. By the way, did you notice that, again, because he's not, uh, they're not asking him, should we, he is having them uh, go there and the idea they came to him and their idea was he's going to do it because he always does it he does follow the tradition he does follow the regulation that had been given back to him in exodus to us in exodus so again it's important to to grasp and understand the, the significance of this thing that's happening that uh, Jesus is being obedient to his father he's going to do that and he's Uh, his people understand where he is going well when they get together uh, you have to understand that for thousands of years the Israelites had been following a method of celebrating the Passover the food was always the same the way it was served and prepared or prepared and served was always the same The words that were spoken at it were always the same. Everything was always done the same. Until this night. On this night when Jesus is going to be betrayed, he's sitting with his disciples and he's explaining to them what is about to happen. And he's saying as he's doing that, I am leaving you a reminder that will help you to reflect upon me whenever you do these things. Whenever you take the bread, whenever you take the cup, think about me. Remember me. Remember what I've done, what I've said, what I've taught, who I am. And he's reminding them of these things. And so he he starts uh, talking about his body. And he says... My body will be physically abused. Um, think about that one. So he's sitting there, standing, sitting, whatever he was doing. He's there with his disciples. And He knows that one of them who's there with him is going to betray him. He knows that another one is going to deny him, and he knows that, that most of the other ones are just going to disappear and take off and not be there when he's having this happen to him. They're all going to abandon him. Wouldn't you think, if he was just a human being, what would you or I do? I know what I'd do. I'd be feet out of there before they came to arrest me. Right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that the human response to such a horrible thing that he's facing? But instead, he gives the instructions. He says, this is what's going to happen to me. But I'm doing this in obedience to God the Father. We see that when he's praying in the garden. He says, fathers, if it's possible, take this from me. But not my will, yours be done. I want to glorify you. I want to glorify you. Well, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew uh, that's on page uh, nine ninety one it's matthew uh, chapter twenty seven verse twenty seven I want you to to uh, picture in your mind with me what's going on here okay? what's taking place here in this instruction or in this word verse 27 of chapter 27 then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him a battalion is a large number of people it's not just a couple of guys who take him into this room it is a large number of people who are there and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him Now you think at this point, like, okay, they put a scarlet robe on him, they're going to worship him and celebrate him. Uh, Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Wait a second. They didn't say, Hail, King of the Jews. They said, Hail, (laughs) King of the Jews. Right? They're not worshiping him. They're not praising him. They're not bowing down to him as the king of the Jews, as God. They're humiliating him. Do you understand that? This is not a, oh, praise God. He's No. These are soldiers who are getting ready to kill him. They're not celebrating him. When you read this scripture, don't read it as, oh, they're bowing down and worshiping him. They're not. They're ridiculing him. Why? Why do I say that? Keep reading with me. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. The head had what? A crown of thorns that was pushed down into his scalp. And then they take this reed and they're hitting him with it. What is that doing? It's driving that, those, those spikes down deeper and deeper and deeper into his head. Does that sound like somebody who's worshiping and, and acknowledging that he's the king of the Jews? And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Think about when we read that when he was going, he couldn't even carry his own cross. Other people did. Why couldn't he carry his cross? You know, we, we've had the image of Jesus portrayed out there as this wimpy guy who didn't, wasn't strong enough. No, he had been through a horrible, horrible ex- uh, experience here where he's beaten and spit upon and slapped and hit and, and all kinds of evil things done to him. He's, he's worn out from what they've done to him. This is a horrible thing. And when he's talking about I'm going to be physically abused when my body is going to be broken. He's telling them, this is the end. I am going to be crucified. I'm going to die. This is a horrible, horrible death that I'm going to experience. And it began that moment when he was falsely accused and when he was falsely convicted of something he had not done. And they physically abused him. And they treated him in the most horrible way imaginable. None of us here would like to have seen it. I'm sure that all of you, like me, would, would, would say, Jesus, I, I, I don't even want to think about how horrible that is. And some of you are saying, Pastor Hank, why are you, why are you making such a big deal about it? Because it was a big deal. He's God. And that's how he was being treated well then Jesus talks about his blood you've heard me say before uh, here I've said it a number of times I don't think for a moment that Jesus was worrying about the actual death and I'll tell you why I believe that beginning of John he says in the beginning was Nice and loud. In the beginning was... And the Word is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was there in the beginning creating the world. Before the world existed, Jesus Christ existed. He knew what death was all about. Death is like that in comparison to creating the world and being around for centuries and and, and thousands of years. What he didn't want was what was next. That as he's hanging on that cross, experiencing this horrible, horrible death, on him came your sins and mine. And they poured out on him, and they poured out on him, and they poured out on him, and they poured out on him. And And he experienced For the first time since before the creation of the world, he's experiencing sin. And it's not even his own sin. It's somebody else's sin. And he's paying an atonement. He's paying the debt for that sin, yours and mine. And we can look at it and say, Oh, no, it was for those people. No, it was for ours as well. And when we think about that, we have to get our mind around how horrible, horrific it was for Jesus to have to do this. And yet he told them that night this is what's going to happen and i'm going to go forward and i'm going to do it that's amazing love to me that's an overwhelming love to me turn one more place in the bible if you'd look with me at acts i mean at 1st corinthians chapter 11 these are the verses that we often use when we're doing communion because it expands the Thoughts that the apostles had shared in, in the word when they, they shared things with, with us in there. And in uh, verses 23 to 28, Paul is writing and he, he's giving instructions and he adds a couple of things into the instruction about communion that are helpful for us. Beginning in verse 23, that's on page 1139 if I didn't already say that. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he's giving instruction that when you take the bread and when you take the cup, think about me. Think about what I have done. Think about all of the things that I have taught and and the example that I've set and and who I am. And by the time Paul is writing this, something amazing and wonderful has happened. Jesus Christ has died on that cross. He was buried, but he was raised back to life again and he ascended into heaven where he's still sitting at at the right hand of God the Father. So when we think about these things, we can think about the fact that he did not remain in the grave, but rather he was brought back to life. And he is alive still today. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's a however. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The idea there is, before you come and partake of the elements, before you sit down and take the Lord's Supper. Examine your heart. Do you have an issue with somebody in the body? Do you have an issue with the Lord? Is there something that God would have had you do that you're not doing? Is there some place you should have been? Is there something that, that God has wanting to change in your life or in your spirit? Is there something that's going on that you need to take care of? And he says... This blood is a new covenant in my blood. God's first covenant he's still faithful to. His last covenant is this covenant. This covenant is a covenant that promises us eternal life through the finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord, whose blood was poured out for our transgressions, for our sins, for our wrongdoings, for our iniquities. I love how Isaiah 53, 5, which was written thousands of years before Jesus, how he writes it, he says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. With his wounds we are healed. Any hope, any promise of anything good happening for, to us after we die is only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross. like to ask our men who are going to serve if they would come forward and I'm going to lead us to the Lord in prayer. But as we do this, I want to give you a moment to reflect on these words, to think about this covenant and this promise. We have a hope. We have a hope of eternity. We have a promise of eternity. Because of what Jesus Christ did. He chose that day to give up his body. To give up his very life. He chose that day to take your sins and mine. You have a choice today. What am I going to do with that? Am I going to be obedient? Am I going to examine my heart and my life? Or am I going to be uh, resistant to that and say, No, I'm going to just go on and do whatever I want to do. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we we would ask that you would just pass the elements because we do believe this is for believers. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, we would just welcome you to participate with us. I would just ask that you would take a moment to just reflect on these words and ask you to think about what it is that Jesus is asking you to do.